0: reading we had from the first epistle of John and chapter 4 and uh, some words in particular that I'd like to think about this evening are there in verse 18 there is no fear in love but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment he that feareth is not made perfect well there here are some intriguing words and teaching from the Apostle John in this epistle, speaking about the love of God in particular, <clears throat> but he speaks about a way in which we can annul, or at least reduce, fears within our hearts and deal with them as they arise and as they assail us. And if we take the verse literally as it said, and we should do so of course, but potentially we can cast out fear altogether Verse 18 again. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. That's a remarkable claim, isn't it? Uh, And uh, we're going to look at this and look at a few verses that surround it as well to amplify our understanding of what John is saying here. Perfect love casteth out fear. Well, this presupposes, of course, that we will be assailed, by fear, doesn't it? John anticipates this. He addresses this in our natures. He's speaking to believers, although this passage is, to a large extent, explaining how we discern the spirits. And uh, one of the evidences of spiritual life is this love that we have. Love is the theme of the chapter, theme of our thinking tonight, the love of God to us and our love in return. The dynamics, if you like, of that are what we're looking at and how these, if understood aright and pursued properly, will remedy so many of those fears that afflict us. So though we are, of course, saved, we are eternally secure, we have the God of all power in our lives and over our fears, nevertheless, fear is something that stalks us we would think with such certain solid ground as the atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ, there should never be any more fear. The second person of the Trinity came down to earth, dwelt among us, and faced all the woes of sin and dealt with them once for all. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Well, that should be... Sufficient for us, but we know it isn't. We know that though we acknowledge that truth and though it's precious to us, it can be undermined and weakened and eroded. And so, as I said, fears are something that stalk us. Now, I'm not speaking here about natural fear, in a way, it would be foolish uh, and dangerous to have no fear. You sometimes hear of someone who you say they have no fear, but you wonder if they have any sense, any sense of self-preservation. Because, of course, natural fear has its place. There's that term flight or fright, isn't there? Fight, rather. And in a very dangerous situation, we have been made to have those responses, fear. So fear, in some senses, is very healthy to get us out of a difficult situation, to focus the mind and to escape from danger. But we're not speaking about that kind of fear. That that type of fear is absolutely rational and reasonable and desirable, in fact. But there are other kinds of fears that are less welcome, that are unhelpful to us, that actually steal from our peace. peace. And uh, we want to look at those kinds of fears Uh, The language, as I said, John tells us really that this is going to happen, and uh, as I said earlier, potentially it can be cast out forever. The language is interesting. Perfect love casteth out fear. So that wording implies that fear is resident within us. It's somewhere within our constitution, the unhealthy type of fear, I mean, and it needs to be. Cast out, evicted, removed—rather like a tenant whose uh, whose time has expired—and uh, they don't want to be. They don't want to leave the property. They have to be cast out. The bailiffs have to come. There has to be force. And so, fear is something that uh, clings to us. But here are remedies to remove that kind of fear and uh, to deal with it. Fears. Well, it can be a long and dismal list. We could suggest a few that uh, afflict Christians, afflict all of us. Fears of, I suppose, the obvious, the unknown, the uncertain future. What does it hold for us? How will things work out? Today is complex. Tomorrow might be very difficult. Perhaps uh, we are... Uh, Facing up to some complex situations, some trying circumstances, and we might be fearful and worry. How can we resolve this matter? What shall I do? How can I address it? And perhaps sometimes we don't know. Well, oftentimes we don't know. We don't deal with it. And so it just sits there and takes away from our peace, full of forebodings, and uncertainties. That's fear of the future. And uh, what about fear of the past? Perhaps our past will catch up with us. Perhaps we fear that things that have happened will come to light. Things that perhaps we've done, of course, all confessed, all forgiven, but maybe they stalk us in a way. And we can't rid ourselves of them and they intrude into our thoughts. And we have perhaps regrets for those are a different category of fears, fears of the world. Well, that's natural enough, you might think, but uh, it shouldn't overwhelm us fears of this present world. And surely we live in a day where there are so many. One need only read the news and the uncertainties and the unpredictabilities and the flashpoints around the world and the ever changing moral scene. How shall we bring up our children, our grandchildren in this age? Become fearful. What shall we do? And uh, fear of events in the world as well. Fear of the influence of the world. Fear of man. Well, the scripture warns us against us. We should fear no man. Fear God, but we do. We fear people's opinions of us. What will they think of me? Uh, Am I ashamed to speak of Christ? Am I afraid that I'll be excluded, that uh, I'll be belittled, that I'll be excluded? Perhaps in your place of work or in the family circle, fear of man, fear of ill health, of advancing years, of decreasing energies. Well, are we afraid of those things? What shall become of me? How shall I cope? Uh, how will I deal with this encroaching problem? What about uh, financial insecurity? Well, this could be a long and dismal list, couldn't it? Uh, in this day and age, financial insecurity will produce fears, even for Christian people. Not No one can escape, perhaps, the cost of living crisis, so-called. It's not guaranteed that you will have ongoing employment and financial security, and that will cause... Fears, relationships that have gone wrong, loneliness perhaps, and then fear, and this will be the context, in fact, of the verse we're looking at, of eternal security. Am I really the Lord's? Are there times where I have those doubts and fears and worries? Have I really believed? And... uh, These are the irrational fears, and uh, John speaks of them. He speaks particularly of that last one, but I have included the others because I think uh, it is a general fear that we have, a multitude of fears. But we'll look then at the context of verse 18. The immediate preceding verse uh, is the opposite of fear. Verse 17, for herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. You see, and then he goes on to the other fears, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. No fear. When that day comes, that final day, we have confidence, even boldness, that we can proclaim, I should have everything to fear. I should fear eternal loss. I've sinned so grievously, and I've lived my life in a poor way. I haven't really matched up to the standard of the scripture. I should be fearful. But no, when our love is made perfect, we have boldness in the day of judgment. So that's the main context that is spoken about here, the opposite of those fears that might affect us. Because as he is... So are we in this world, as Christ is, the unchanging Savior, the one who loved us, the one who looks down now, who sent his spirit to guide and bless us, the one who lived, as I said, uh, in contradiction of this world, opposed by this world, but was victorious as he is, so are we in this world. Simple words, but really quite profound. Can we say that we're like Christ in this world? Well, of course not, in the fullest sense. But in the sense that we're in him, then we are just as he was. Just as he would be kept by his heavenly father. As he would certainly complete his mission. As he would be victorious and was and is victorious, then all of those things cast out our fear and give us boldness. The Scripture says that we're like him and that we are in him and he is in us. Words to that effect in John 17, 21. But here is the practical application for us. There are two aspects, if you like, to what we're speaking about, simply put, The love of God toward us. Now that is an absolute given. Never, ever diminishing. Never changing. Perfect and pure in its intensity and its application. We're so dear to him. And that is no flicker, no moment, no second of time where that love diminishes whatsoever. that's certainly the case. Whether we always perceive it or understand it or appreciate it is another matter. But that is absolutely the promise and guarantee of the scripture. And uh, we could have no better evidence, of course, than that he gave his only son to die for us while we were yet sinners. Mm -hmm. So that's the divine side of it. But then the other side of this is our love to God. And that's the practical challenge, if you like, to us, because John says here, herein is our love made perfect. And perfect here doesn't mean perfect in its normal sense. It means complete, comprehensive, full. But really for our encouragement, even that we're not talking about to the absolute perfection. That really sadly is not possible in this life. But completeness is something we can uh, advance with. We can be more complete. We can fill up our love. And so God's love, as I've already said, absolutely uh, unchanging. Our love, more fickle. But we can increase it and improve it. And so John is telling us that there are ways that we can cast out our fears by perfecting our love. Completing our love. We're not speaking here necessarily about natural love, even romantic love. There's that in the family circle and in life, of course, in courtship and so on and so forth. But it's in, and that's a great blessing. Often in in romantic love, there's a great uh, giving of initial love, a great deposit, if you will. Something so special, so wonderful that we really are taken up in love for our future spouse. But uh, that can be, in a sense, a delicate flower. It can be short-lived. It will need nourishment. It will need care and attention. It's not a guarantee that it will continue in that way always. It will mature. It will change. But it needs and requires effort from us also so love is not just an affection it's not just a fellow feeling not just attraction not just appreciation not just commitment it is all of those things but uh, it is something that we choose and sometimes that comes as a, as a surprise to people we choose to love it is a choice there's a Puritan, Counsel often given at weddings, first choose your love, then love your choice. Very wise words, aren't they? But the choice is in there. Here's an example of that choice that we have in Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives. Well, don't I automatically do so? No, not necessarily. Don't I automatically love my wife or wife, their husband? Don't we automatically love the brethren? No, not automatically so. You see, it's a command. So we are and can increase and improve and deepen our love to God and to one another. So God gives us this great infusion, rather like at the beginning of a courtship, when we're converted, when we're born again. To a great extent, we have a great sense of God's love to us, a great sense of wonder. We have a an insight, an understanding that he saved us, that he's delivered us, that we're different, and we're taken up with that for a time. But we've got to nurture it, else it'll fade away. God gives us a great deposit at conversion, but we need now to... As I say, improve it and keep it alive. It is a choice. And uh, we need to look at some of the warnings here. For example, we'll begin to look at the applications. Verse 20. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And so we can begin to see some of these strategies to improve our love. John is saying to us, you say you love God, and we trust that we do. And there is a sense in which we contemplate the love of God, just us to him, just considering what he's done for us, what he's done for mankind. And we can appreciate deeply what he has done for us but we haven't seen him so how can we further express that love it's not just in words it's not just in words of praise which of course are absolutely valid and essential not just of expressions of praise directly to God and gratitude which we should engage in often but the real test John says as well if you really love me Show it by love to one another. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And so we can begin to see the practical helps here to us. Do we, have to, uh, do we want to have complete love, which casts out fear? Well, one of the advi- some of the advice here is love the saints. Love one another. That's interesting, isn't it? Because if we are afflicted by fears, some of those which I've suggested many more, I'm sure you can add to that list, often that's when we feel least like expressing love to others. We might be so caught up in our own situation, so burdened that we haven't the capacity for that love to others. We're so consumed. And at times, that's right, we are overwhelmed. But John is saying to us, well, if you love God, show love to your brother. And it's in the context of this verse, perfect love casteth out fear. And so here is part of the remedy. Our fears can be dispelled whilst we look to and think of others. The brethren in particular, John has in mind Whilst our situation is very real, we're not diminishing that, needs the prayer of God, we need his help, even in that vulnerable situation, think of others. Consider the others who are also going through trials, difficulties, deep waters. Or even if they're not, love them because they're loved by Christ, love them because We're of the same family. Love them because they've lifted your spirits up. Love them because they've been faithful. Love them because at times they've failed and fallen, but we still love them. Christ doesn't stop loving us when we fail. So often, yes, he'll deal with us. He'll discipline us. He may withdraw from us for a while, but he still loves us. And so we ought to one to the other also. So we need to pray to overcome the natural, residual self-interest, even after conversion, self-advantage. Love is sacrificial. If you're going to love someone, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your emotional energy. It's going to cost you your time. You're going to have to subdue some of your own interests, aims, pursuits, ambitions. Love is not, well, when I have time, if I have a bit of spare capacity, I might pray for that person. I might come alongside them. I might make the effort. I don't really feel like engaging with that brother or sister. It could be a difficult conversation. They really have quite a different background and experience to me. It's too much effort. Well, that can afflict and does afflict all of us, but it's not how Christ dealt with us. Thankfully, if he had, none of us would be in the kingdom. And so we have this commandment uh, throughout the scripture, but here John uh, speaks about about it often. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God, mark of our salvation. As I said, this chapter begins, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. This is an evidence that we are his if we love one another. And the opposite, verse 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. It's uh, one of his prime attributes, if we can say that, theologically speaking, It can be said that none, no attribute of God is greater than any other. And they are all suffused in one. All of his attributes of love and justice and omniscience and omnipotence and all of those things. But love pervades them all. What a remarkable thing. That our God is not just this divine force, but that he is personal and loving. Really, that's stated here for us. And then, verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And then we have the argument. Why should we love one another? Because he loved us. And because our expression of love back to him is to love one another. It's really straightforward teaching, but John uh, labors the point, amplifies it often. Uh, no man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. You See, there's that word again, perfected, completed. How do we strengthen our love? Remember, this is in the context of love casteth out fear. So we need to strengthen our love to remove those fears. Now it may well be said that we might not accomplish that entirely, but we can certainly cast out much fear if we follow and heed the advice here of the Apostle John. And we've had that commandment also. He who loves God, love his brother also. So there it is, set before us. and We might struggle with this obligation It's true that we still have that old man, that old nature, self-interest. And we need to pray much that we would be helped in this endeavor, that it would be a priority. And we can be at fault even for our virtues. By that, I mean we can be active Christian people, that we obey and live by God's standard, that we're always there, that we're on duty, that we're helpful that we're engaged in Christian service, that we evangelize, that we preach, that we teach. But it mustn't omit love. It mustn't be done only out of a sense of duty. That's valuable. We do have that sense of duty. We're soldiers of Christ. We've enlisted in his army. We're under his authority. But don't leave out this crowning virtue of love. Quite a challenge, isn't it, when we go about our lives to remember that we ought to love one another, and it's not a vague, vapid sentiment. That's what the world can make it, and sometimes we can understand it in that way. It's practical, and so quite challenging for us, so difficult for us. But uh, here before us, what we have is the extreme or perfect example. We've touched upon it already, verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. And so, for our example is Christ. Consider him. Those are wise words, aren't they? Consider him. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. In verse 9, very similar to John 3.16, and of course written by the same apostle, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. So as he loved us, he is the example set before us. He is the prime example. He came to give us life more abundantly. Verse 10, here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins and so we have these many overlapping, yes, uh, scriptures that tell us of the love of God and remind us that we're to love Him back. And as I've already said, one of the great expressions of that love is to love one another, love the brethren. Otherwise, we become hypocrites. Otherwise, our love is, our faith is I'm not saying it's not genuine but it is tarnished and weakened. And so we need to think about Christ, our example. We've experienced his love, haven't we? We've experienced the effects of it. We have known and believed in him, and we're to go on knowing and believing. And as you love your brethren, your love for him increases. So, At such times as perhaps we're overcome, out of our depths, want to think only of our own situations. As I've already said, pray and think of someone else. It might take a great effort of will. I dare say you might even need to ask the Lord, help me, Lord. I don't feel very loving. I don't feel very positively inclined to all the brethren. Help me, Lord. Help me to remember that this never put you off. As you looked on my life, as I despised you and walked away from you, you didn't take offence. You pursued me. You determined and resolved to save me. You persisted with me. You brought me up again and again. You stopped me in my tracks. You made me realize the folly of my ways, and yet I still wouldn't come. And then you humbled me perhaps brought problems into my life until at last the knee bowed rather as we were considering this morning in Psalm 32 when David kept silence and his bones waxed old and there was that roaring all the day long. Interesting, his lips kept silence but internally he was roaring in anguish and agony but the Lord didn't give up on him. He loved us to the end, he loved us To the point that he came for us and died for us. And so we have that great example of love. See beyond our needs and uh, trust in him. Let our love increase. Here it is again, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. That's such a negative energy, isn't it? Fear hath torment. Fear is this kind of irrational feeling of being ill at ease, worse than that, fearful, anxious, torments and troubles us. And it's not God's will that we should live like that. He's given us the remedy, where to take the steps and uh, the actions and the advice, where to prove Him, take Him at His word. Are you fearful? Am I fearful? Well, think of the love of God to us, that that will never go away, that those fears would not be realized, that they're really just in your mind, but to eradicate them then pray for others, think of others, love the brethren, and let's see, shall we not, that those fears recede and are diminished and cast out of our lives. So here's John's advice for us so in conclusion we have many duties many obligations in the Christian life and we are to pursue all of those but remember to do it in a spirit of love in a spirit of love to one another thinking of what he's done for us well I'll conclude here but there are those beautiful words in first Corinthians 13. I sometimes think that that's a passage that we dare not intrude on because it's so beautiful, so well put. But, of course, all of the Scripture is profitable for us. But that final verse, I'll read or final two verses. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, or love, these three. But the greatest of these is charity or love. God is love. It infuses his whole being and permeates all of his other divine attributes. And may it infuse our whole being. What a thing to reach for, to strive for. It seems almost unobtainable, doesn't it? but it's set before us and it's John's remedy for fear. May the Lord bless these things to our lives. Amen. Our final hymn is number 107. Hymn number 107. O Lord, enlarge our scanty thoughts to know the wonders thou hast wrought. Father, we praise and worship thee for that undying love to us. We pray that we might love thee in return, love one another. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit, rest and remain with each one now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.